Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good evening, brothers and sisters, or good afternoon, I should say, getting ahead of myself here. Hope everybody's doing fine and encouraged for another start to the week. We are starting Second Kings this week. Next week, we'll do the pre-exilic prophets. So yeah, we're getting through, you know, still got a few more months to go, but slowly getting through everything. I hope that the reading of the word is giving you encouragement and is building you up for that is the reason why we do so. Right? Picture yourself on a boat on a river. No, that's another song. <laughs> Picture yourself in your favorite place at a particular moment in time where you're just there taking in the scenery. Any of you have ever experienced that where you're just sitting there just taking it in? You're not rushing. You're just there appreciating the beauty, the sight, the time. No concern for anything else. Savoring the moment is what we call it, right? Taking it in. Letting that particular time make an impression on you without regard for what you did before, what you're doing today, or what you're going to do later on. Even terrible times, like spending the last hour with your loved one, is a moment to be taken in. It's a moment to take in deeply, to let that particular lesson and emotion of the moment impress a timeless lesson on you. And that is the distilled message of the book of Ecclesiastes. To me, this is a gem of a book. I had a really hard time this week trying to put something together to present to you because I could preach on this book for the whole year. There's just so many awesome lessons in it. It is my favorite book. I, I, I decided that this week, that Ecclesiastes is my favorite book in the whole Bible. Uh, perhaps for people like me who sometimes take things too seriously, this is a particularly important book. For people like me who often get overwhelmed by the details of life, this book has a message for me. It's a great reset for me. When I read it, it kind of resets my mind. And so that's why I enjoy it. It gives me much comfort, helps me refocus on what really matters. I'm never, I never get tired of reading it. And this week, as I was reading it again, I just got more inspiration. And that's the Word of God. That's what the Word of God can do. Amen. There's a particular phrase repeated throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And it's the theme, no duh, <laughs> of Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless. And sometimes he adds a chasing after the wind. It's a phrase repeated some 30 times throughout the book. And I just got new insight on this phrase that I never considered before. What does this mean? Is he really saying, is Solomon saying, is, hey, you know, life is meaningless, don't 
Don't worry too much about it. Because for us in English, meaningless, or sometimes in other translations, it's translated as vain, meaning empty. It doesn't really capture the Jewish word behind that. So I wanted to give you some insight into Habel, which is what's translated as meaningless or vain or vanity. And this word Habel means empty. It's like smoke, empty, uh, vain, transitory, unsatisfactory, like smoke or vapor. You know, you see smoke, you see vapor. It seems to be there, but if you try to grab it, there's nothing there. So what is it? Is it there or it's not there? It's like the wind. It's sometimes enigmatic smoke. You know, it's enigmatic. It's mysterious. It's, it's hazy. It doesn't let you really see through it completely. And it is temporary. It's not without meaning per se, but temporary, enigmatic, and paradoxical. That's really the meaning. So sometimes when Solomon says, says it is meaningless, he's not saying it's without meaning. He's not saying that. It's just that it's enigmatic or it's paradoxical. And when you read it with that understanding, you really get to see the deeper point he's trying to make. So in stark contrast to the Proverbs where everything is clear and there's some clear contrast, cause and effects throughout the book of Proverbs, here in Ecclesiastes, he deals with the paradoxical nature of life and the profound enigma it presents to us oftentimes throughout our lives. This is another phrase that is repeated throughout Ecclesiastes, this phrase, under the sun. He says in Ecclesiastes 1.3, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? So what does that mean under the sun? Uh, that's here, this life. And you can choose it to live two different ways that he contrasts all the way throughout the book. Are you going to live like the rest of the people who live under the sun with no hopes, uh, no goals beyond this earth? Or are you going to live in the fear of God? It's like Proverbs where he contrasted wisdom and folly. So here he's contrasting two thoughts. Are we going to live like animals who have no hope beyond the grave? Or are we going to live as spirits in a material world, going through a transitory phase, but understanding there's something more? Because that's also an essential message here in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1 really contains the key to the organization of the book. He presents some of the general themes in a very interesting way. And it kind of hit me for the first time in this reading, how he organizes things here in Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 4. Uh, he says, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye has never enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. 
and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So this uh, part here contains some interesting phrases. He's, he does a play on words and phrases where he's introducing us to the sub-themes that undergird the main theme, that life is habel. Life is like a smoke. And we see these four themes that are going to get used over and over again throughout the book to make the point that life is like smoke, that you can't catch it, that it slips away, that it's temporary, that it's enigmatic, and that it's paradoxical, which is what Solomon is trying to say. So I'm going to try and go through these a little quickly. He talks about the circle of life. He talks about the permanence of time, the winds of change, and the water cycle. And you're like, okay, is this a lesson in geography, science? There's a little bit in there of these because we can learn a lot from the things God has put into effect. As a matter of fact, Solomon in his wisdom, that's exactly what he, do, what he does. So let's talk about the circle of life. He says, people come and people go. Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. We came here, we're here for the now, but we will be gone and other people will be here. Uh, and that's the circle of life. The only sure thing is what? That we're going to die. <laughs> and that other people are going to be born, right? Uh, what someone did is quickly forgotten. What I'm doing now, you're going to forget next week. So imagine after I die, nobody, who, who was Pedro? We don't know who he was. Yeah, so... How much impact are we really having on each other? What's the kind of impact that we're looking to have, right? Uh, what does man make here while he's alive that really impacts the world other than relationships? What do we do that can impact? Technology illustrates this point. I remember when the Palm Pilot was the greatest thing and man had invented. Now everybody was like, what is that? You know, and today's phones and technology, oh, it's so great. Ten years, you won't even remember it. Technology illustrates the point perfectly. What is awesome, one decade quickly becomes old. Not even a decade, now in a few years, it's already old. It's already, throw it out, doesn't work anymore. It's like smoke, right? Who tries to use a Palm Pilot today? Nobody, it's smoke. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so each generation thinks they're the greatest gift to mankind until the next generation comes. That's Solomon's point here. He says here, I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they don't really know what they're talking about. So that's this first thing. Everything has its time. Things come, things go. Life is smoke. It's a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. That's what this sub-theme here is. The next sub-theme he presents is the permanence of time. And he talks about that by this phrase, the sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. Time continues. Time just hurries along. Nobody can stop time. It's a train that can't be stopped. We try to use a lot of things to try and stop it, right? Try to stop us from aging. Because the, the thing that really uh, gives us a clue about how time has passed is what? 
pictures. Thank you. All right. We look at a picture 20 years old and we feel old. Like, oh my goodness. Time has passed. <laughs> or maybe we see a picture of somebody when they were five, 20 years later, 25. It's like, whoa, time has passed. And we can't stop it, right? Time continues. And in Genesis 8.22, God said that the sun is going to be continue, continuing to do this for the, as long as the earth remains. In other words, seasons are going to keep coming. Time is going to keep passing. Months are going to keep going. It's something we have very little control. Of. We have no control over it, actually. No control whatsoever. And so the permanence of this is something that we literally can count on, point a pun intended. Uh, it illustrates the passing of time, that we have very little control. Whatever we think we're accomplishing quickly fades away in time. And we cannot stop that time from affecting us, from aging us. Every single moment that passes fades into memory. You can't relive it again. The point Solomon makes is take in the moment because that's all you have. You don't have the past. Certainly you don't have the future. What you have is right now. Learn to live in it and to appreciate it. That's Solomon's sub-theme here with time. The next thing he talks about is the wind. He uses the wind here. He says, the wind blows to the north, turns to the uh, blows to the south, turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. It rhymes, actually, in English when you say it that way. And what does wind represent? Jesus actually used the wind uh, when he says, uh, like the wind, you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going, so it is with those of the Spirit, he says. So Jesus uses the wind, and the winds often represent change. We talk about the winds of change, the unpredictable nature of things. You know, people who live in Tornado Alley, they know very much that winds, all of a sudden, they come, they go, and they change your life in a second, right? <laughs> we here, you know, we've been through a few winds of change, literally, you know, hurricanes and stuff like that, and Wow, they're terrifying. You don't know where, where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. It suddenly appears, it wreaks havoc, and then you're left trying to pick up the pieces. Something so strong like wind, right? Such force, but you can't grab it. Isn't that enigmatic? Isn't that paradoxical? That's why Solomon says it's meaningless. Not that it doesn't have meaning. What he's trying to say there is that it's a paradox. It's so strong, it can cause so much damage. And you can't even hold it in your hand. It's meaningless. That's what he's trying to say there. It's beyond your control too. It's something that you cannot control. It brings about an appearance of, of randomness, of, of chaos. That's the enigma part of what the smoke represents. Habel. No one can tell what's going to happen in their life. When change all of a sudden is going to come through and it leaves you in a different position. There's a built-in appearance of randomness in our lives beyond our, abil our ability to calculate. And that is a theme that Solomon brings up again and again throughout Ecclesiastes. And the next thing he talks about here is uses the water cycle. Um, all of you remember what the water cycle is. You probably studied it in high school biology. And what does the water represent here? Now he's speaking about what seems contradictory in life. You know, we're all made out of water. We're all surrounded by water. Uh, he says, water is always running, running into the sea, yet the sea is never full. 
You know, how does this happen? The water keeps coming, this coming into the sea, and yet the sea doesn't remain full. He's talking about the paradoxical, the contradictory nature of things. Like water, we need water. We're 80, 90% water, I think, right? We need it to live, yet we can't live in it. Because <laughs> we'll drown in it. We need it to live, but we can't live in it. That speaks to the contradictory nature of life. Paradoxes that we cannot figure out. It's like the air we breathe, right? Water comes into our bodies, it flows out. Air comes in and out. Water, like wind, can also cause a lot of damage. We saw that during Sandy, right? Uh, the water damage. But water, like air, can you grab it in your hand? No, you can't. You try to grab it, something so strong, something that can cause so much damage, but you cannot even grab a handful with your hand. The paradox of life. We cannot control wind. We cannot control water. It really controls us. We run <laughs> when the water or the wind comes after us because we cannot control it. And that speaks to the paradox, the enigma of life. Uh, Solomon will say here, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So Solomon is trying to say, look, you spend your time studying the water, studying the wind, and with all the wisdom and all the things people have learned today, they can't even figure out yet. How can you figure out God? <laughs> you can't. He is the maker of all things. So in light of these ageless cycles, and themes that Solomon perceived with the wisdom that God gave him, he came to say, there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new mankind can bring into the scene. All of man's efforts are habel. They're vain. They're like smoke. They last but an instant, and then they're gone. The phrase under the sun here, like I said before, is used to contrast those who fear and trust God versus those who don't care about God, who are trying to live a life under the sun without the hope of anything beyond it. Solomon says, that is vanity. That is meaningless. That is a chasing after the wind. All this vanity, what was it brought about? It was brought about because we thought that we could gain something by stealing knowledge from the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. I spoke a little bit about this when we spoke about Proverbs last week. All this vanity, because mankind doesn't know how to use this wisdom. Look at all. Look at even Solomon. I think God made a point with Solomon, giving this man all the wisdom that a human mind could, could hold. And yet, how did it help him? Look at what he wrote. He says, it's meaningless. <laughs> It's vain, it's like smoke. And even at some point, Solomon says, well, what good is it to pursue wisdom then if the wise and the fool both have the same fate? But of course, later on, he says, wisdom is better than folly because it's like light is better than darkness. It helps you see. <laughs> so it does serve a purpose. But even a man with all the wisdom that he had, look at how he fell astray from the way of the Lord. Wisdom in and of itself can't help us and hasn't helped us. All this was brought to us by the first man. The first man got us into this kind of cyclical living, one thing after the other, 
day after day, time after time, hour after hour, generations come, generations go, the sun sets, the winds blow, the water comes. This repeated, meaningless cycle. What got us into that? Sin. Sin got us living within these enclosed artificial parameters that God had to set on this world, like death itself even, because we weren't supposed to die. But yet, all these limited parameters that God set in our life, as uh, Acts 17, 26 speak about, were brought on by sin. But we have hope because the second Adam, or the last Adam, as the Bible puts it, came back to break us from such patterns brought on by sin. He came to break us from this burden that Solomon calls the burden of the toil of living under the sun. This meaningless burden, Jesus came to lift it out from under us. So as his disciples, we don't need to live like these people under the sun. We could learn something from the fear of God. We could learn something by being wise in Christ and learning to see beyond these cyclical things and patterns that trap many people into thinking that this is all there is. And they live aimlessly under the sun, but we don't because we know we're in the kingdom of God. We're in a very specialized uh, area here, halfway under the parameters of this world, halfway governed by the parameters of the life to come. And so with that view, I'm gonna to present to you some practicals and, and attitude adjustments that Solomon brings to the table in his speech here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because as kingdom citizens, we can acknowledge what Solomon prescribed with, with the wisdom God gave him. As he says here, a person can do nothing better than to eat, drink, find satisfaction. You know what the most elusive thing in this life is? Contentment, satisfaction. Because Solomon speaks of people having everything they wanted without being able to enjoy it. And he says, that is sad. That is meaningless. <laughs> and yet somebody who has little is completely satisfied and joyful. That's one of the paradoxes of life. He says, this too I see is from the hand of God. The ability to eat, drink, to find satisfaction in our work is something that God can give you. For without him, is there really anything to eat or anything to enjoy? And that's one of the lessons that in his great wisdom we see here in Ecclesiastes. Without God, there is no meaning to this burdensome toil under the sun. But God is the one who gives us meaning, who gives us perspective to this existence. And so from the passages following this one here in this chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, we find seven blessings from God for those who choose to see beyond life under the sun and who wish to define themselves as citizens of the next life, which is not going to be under the sun, S-U-N, but under the sun, S-O-N. So we can determine these seven things to remember when life's randomness or paradoxes render you dazed and confused as if you were trying to peer through some smoke. Remember these seven blessings. The first one, wisdom. 
He'll say here to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge. Understand God gives. We can't pursue it. It's elusive, Solomon says. It's enigmatic. You're not going to find it. But if you want to please God and learn about him, God gives. He will give wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And look at the person who decides to ignore God. Well, he has a task too. He has the task of gathering, storing up wealth, so he can give it to those who please God. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I love this. This, when he says meaningless here, he says, this is a paradox. That's what he's trying to say here. Not that it's without meaning, but it's a paradox. It's like smoke chasing after the wind. So he says here, some other ways that we can gain wisdom is in mourning. He says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting for death is the destiny of everyone. And the living should take this to heart. You wanna be a wise person? You find meaning in those sad moments because only the fool likes to laugh and likes to make himself merry without regard to the more sober moments in life, which are the ones that bring wisdom. And so often we try to shy away from those moments, but just like you like to take in a beautiful scene or a moment of peace, you should also learn if you wanna be wise to take in those difficult moments and savor them and learn why they are there present in your life at this moment. There is something to be learned in the exposure of so much death around us. From God also comes enjoyment. Life can be enjoyed if you have a godly perspective. He says here, a person can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction. Before he had said enjoyment, now he says satisfaction in his toil. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment. Then he also has a word for those who are young. He has something to say, while well, you're young, make sure your mind is operating the right way. He says, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart. Some of you are saying, oh, don't follow your heart. <laughs> and whatever I see, but notice what Solomon adds here. He adds a caveat. Know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So yes, it's great while we're young to enjoy this life, albeit being guided by self-control so that we don't end up regretting later on all the things that we did while we were young. We want to live without regret so that we can enjoy youth because like he's gonna say later on, youth and vigor are meaningless. They're like a vapor, they're gonna be gone. And some of you guys know that, right? In your 50s, you tried to play basketball and you figured out that, no, it's very painful to do that right now. <laughs> you can't do it now. And you know, when you were young, hey, you know, you didn't even think about it. Now you try to do it. Oh, you know, I tried to shovel the snow. I still feel the pain in my, in my left elbow. And it's been a few months already. I'm like, man, you know, time goes on. Youth and uh, strength are meaningless. They're going to go just like, just like vapor. So to the married, he says, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of your meaningless life. He's not saying that your life doesn't have any meaning in this, <laughs> in this uh, sentence. He's just saying it goes by like that. It's a vapor. It's a smoke. 
You know, you married a young, beautiful wife, and then you blink your eyes, you're both old. You know, and you're like, whoa, what happened here? <laughs> you know, of course, when I look at my wife, I still see her like she was 20 years ago. That's, I think, a blessing God gives us, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, or maybe it is that I'm not wearing my glasses in the morning when I wake up. I don't know. But enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days for this. This is your lot in life. And your toilsome labor. Yeah, it's toilsome. He doesn't deny that. There's work involved in marriage. Yeah, you're right about that. But they can be enjoyed. It's to be enjoyed. Because there's something, Solomon does say something about work. He says, work, the way that you get joy out of work is while you're doing it. Because once you're finished with it, it's gone, it's forgotten, right? But while you're doing, while you're in the moment, that's where you find, that's where you want to find joy and pleasure in what you do. And I give this encouragement to a lot of young people when I give them career counseling. Make sure you go to school for something you like to do. Don't go to school because you want to make a lot of money because you're going to be very burdened if you end up in a career that is going to seem like work to, to you and that you're not enjoying. That is meaningless. That is Abel. <laughs> find something that you like to do and do it so that you can enjoy what you do for the rest of your meaningless days that you have here. Okay, <laughs> That's his advice. Because there's also a beauty that's, that God wants you to see throughout all the days that you're here. There is beauty in life. There is beauty to be seen. He says he has made everything beautiful in its time. Yes, some of us old people were beautiful in our time. He also has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What is Solomon trying to say here? He's saying, look, beauty is found in the moment. Beauty is found in the ability to be awed, to be amazed by something, not necessarily physical beauty, although when we see flowers and when we see someone who is beautiful looking, we're like, oh, wow, look at this beautiful person or look at this beautiful flower, look at these beautiful things. God has made everything beautiful in its time, but as quickly as those flowers, you know, fade out and grow old, that's beauty. Beauty in and of itself, as we read in Proverbs 31, is fleeting, right? It's meaningless. That's what he's meaning to say there. So what's most important is what? Look what he contrasts beauty here with. What does he contrast it with? Eternity. Now that's beautiful. Now we, we can't comprehend what, what that is yet. But God has done something. He, as much as we are captivated by beauty, we're captivated by eternity. He has said it here. What human being doesn't wonder about himself saying, is this it? When I die, is this it? I know every single person questions himself that this can't be it. It cannot be over. There has to be something more. And God has put that for everyone to search as much as they search for beauty because that's the real beauty right there. Eternity. So that's why he has advice, especially for young people. Banish anxiety from your heart. Anxiety is meaningless. You're an anxious person, try not to be. Banish it. He says, let it go. Cast off the troubles of your body. What are you so worried about? What are you so anxious about? Enjoy the moment. 
youth and vigor. They're like smoke. They're meaningless. They're going to go away quickly. So don't let yourself at such a young age bear so many meaningless burdens and anxieties. Cast them. And I know young people, what you get anxious about, because I was there too. You, you, if you're going to go to college, it's all about college and the grades and what you're going to do. If it's about finding a job, am I going to find the right job? And, and you know, you got a lot of things going on through your head. But you know what I tell you? I tell you, trust God. Trust him. And make sure that your heart is seeking him out because he's going to guide you the right way. I wanted to be an engineer because engineering. But guess what? Things happen in my life. All of a sudden, the winds of change swept and the water came in and out and I was left upside down. But God straightened it all out eventually. And that's where I find myself today. Instead of being an engineer, God worked it out. I had to learn to trust him. So there's no reason to be anxious or, or be troubled. Solomon says here, cast them out because youth and vigor are meaningless. And he has something else to tell you, young people. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come because they're going to come, right? All of you who are 50 and older, <laughs> they're going to come. <laughs> so, and you don't want to be saying, oh, you know, you don't want to be all bummed out when they come. Oh, I don't enjoy my old age because I did many foolish things when I was young. You don't want to find yourself in that position, right? So while you're young, while you've got vigor, while you've got strength, enjoy life, follow your heart. And he said, but remember, God is going to bring every deed to justice. He's going to judge everything. So make sure your heart is right so that what you end up doing has some meaning. And it's not completely meaningless. And you're going to find yourself as an old person twiddling your thumbs, you know, wondering what happened to your life because you ignored God. Real beauty is in living a holy life. That also gives us gifts. Solomon says here, I know there's nothing better for people. And he says that phrase quite a lot. I know there's nothing better. He says that sentence quite a few times. And you have to kind of contest well what is he saying is better he says it's better to be happy to do good he's giving us some clues here be happy do good do good things help other people it's not just all about you while you live that each of you may eat drink find satisfaction notice, notice how many times we've already encountered that phrase find satisfaction find enjoyment find contentment and he always Brings it back around to God. God's the only one who's going to give you that. So you have to mind your life. Mind what you do before God because he's there and he's the one who's going to give you gifts. He says, this is a gift from God. Satisfaction. Solomon say many people gain wealth and material things, but sadly they're not able to enjoy them. They're not able to be content. As much gift as they pile on their bank accounts. They find no satisfaction, no contentment. Many people get jobs. Many people get spouses and they get divorced and they get remarried as if they're trying to find something and they never find it. Because the key is satisfaction, contentment. That's what's most elusive in this life under the sun because it's only found as a gift from God. Make sure you remember that because that's one of the main lessons here. Your life is a gift. 
the lot God has given you. I didn't want to become a teacher, a high school teacher. Certainly, I wasn't planning on becoming a preacher. I said, no way, Jose, I don't want to become that. But at some point, I had to accept the lot and find satisfaction in it. And when I did, oh, it's so beautiful. It's a gift from God. So don't be surprised if you try to go one way and God ends up rerouting you somewhere else because he's saying that's not your lot. But the key is, will you accept it, right? Accepting your lot is critical. Accepting your spouse, accepting your children, sometimes it's a little difficult. Uh, as the greatest gifts God has given us under the sun so we can find satisfaction and enjoyment within them. Within this, God also gives us stability. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. God does this so that people will fear him. So what's he trying to say here? This calls for wisdom. What is it that gives stability to our lives is knowing that God is deeply involved in everything that we do. As Acts 17, 26 and 27 say, God is there putting those parameters, putting those safety measures along our lives, trying to get us to seek him. God is deeply involved in each and every life, trying to turn you around because he's a good father and he wants all of his children, all of his creation. I know we cannot comprehend that. We can barely manage three kids, but God can do it in that he shows wisdom. And in doing all these things, he does so that we can fear him, so that we can learn to respect God, to honor God, to seek God. Because if we don't have the fear of God, you know what's going to happen? Fear of man is going to control you. Fear of the unknown is going to control you. All the emotions associated with that, the fear of people and the fear of the unknown, is what's going to twist your life around and rob you of joy happiness, stability, and all these other things that are the gift of God. You either learn to fear God or you're going to end up fearing everything else and you're not going to live in contentment. We kind of call this view deism. Some people are deists and what that means is they believe in God, yeah, but they think God is uninvolved. God is somewhere far away. He doesn't have the time to get involved with people. That kind of reflects the mentality of the deist because they don't want to get involved in people's lives either. So they believe God is somebody who's uninvolved. And so they have to find meaning on their own. Uh, but that doesn't create reliance on God and it won't foster stability either. And without stability, you're not going to find purpose in your life, which is a blessing from God. Solomon said, I said to myself, as for humans, God test them so that they may see they are like the animals <laughs> without an acknowledgement that God is in our midst, deeply involved. What do we default to? Isn't it to this hedonistic mindset? Isn't it hedonism, which is the belief that we just have to live for pleasure and self-indulgence like the animals? I mean, that's what we default to without God. What do we think? We come from animals. The ape is my cousin, is my father. And so I'm an animal and I live like animals now. And that's that whole mindset that comes. And this is ironic because you will never find satisfaction in that way of thinking. It's going to become the most elusive to you when you start behaving like an animal. <laughs> but the coming of the Son of Man changed all that. 
The coming of the Son of Man forever breaks any kind of doubt that the accuser wants to multiply in your mind in regards to your identity and the purpose for you in this life. The accuser, he tries to sow seeds, uh, trying to root your origins without God's hand, trying to define you without God, that you're like an animal. Uh, you're just a collection of molecules, you know, in, in this course of time, and who knows what you're going to end up becoming. So it doesn't matter what you do here. That's that kind of mindset. But the cross triumphed over that because the cross proves that there is a purpose. There is something that God has for us. The cross shows us that forever in our history, Jesus is behind us. Jesus is for us. As our brother presented here in the Lord's Supper, our brother Gerard said so clearly, God appointed Jesus and he gave him all these miracles, all these signs, all these wonders to forever quench our doubts about who we are. And so now we living on the other side of the cross, we even have more reason, more knowledge, more wisdom than ever to find these blessings and take a stand on these blessings that God has for us. When we confront Jesus and him crucified, we have to question whether we're going to trust earthly wisdom or we're going to trust God's foolishness. That's what the cross presents to us. It's a test of faith to see whether or not we're going to believe that God is deeply involved in our lives. And if we're convinced, then we're going to give up living like those under the sun and begin to live under the sun of God. Because he's pointing us towards a new heaven, a new earth, a new humanity that breaks all of the monotonous, cyclical themes we see in this life. It's going to be breaking free completely of that. So Solomon will say, almost at the end of the book, now all has been heard. He says, I have to tell you everything I have to tell you. <laughs> I told it all in 11 chapters, I told you. Concentrated wisdom. You know how they sometimes they sell you the concentrated soap, right? Or the concentrated insect repellent. Right? You put that stuff on you, you're going to make a hole in your skin. You got to water it down, right? So in Ecclesiastes, we got concentrated wisdom. Whew, it's so concentrated, it's going to take us a lifetime to unpack all those lessons. So he says here, I told you, you heard it all. Here's the conclusion on the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is your duty. This is the duty of all mankind. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or whether it's evil. So this is it, brothers and sisters. This is it, visitors. Oh, but I got one more blessing to give you, and that's joy. Here he says, I saw there is nothing better. Again, we see that phrase, nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Pure, sheer joy is so elusive in this life. I mean, there's a lot of people that experience happy moments, happy times, but, but they're like a beautiful flower. They're here and, and then all of a sudden another emotion takes its place. <laughs> Right? It's very elusive. We, we have this silly laughter. That's not joy at all. That's just foolishness, uh, which is not grounded in anything real. Pure joy is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning 
It only comes from the hand of God, like he says here. When God gives someone wealth, possessions, and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot, be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. And I swear to you that each passage that I've shared with you here that talks about this is a different one. It's not like I'm recycling the same passage. No, this is a recurring theme in Ecclesiastes that appears all throughout the book. This is a gift of God to have these things, joy. And I love what verse 20 says. What a blessed life, right? People who seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Wow, that, that sounds almost as good as heaven. <laughs> right? You can live. You can live a blessed life while you're here despite what's going on. You just simply have to adjust your focus. Adjust your lens. Change the lens by which you see things so that you can enjoy. I'm going to leave you uh, well, there it is. Yeah, this is the last passage. I thought there was one more passage to give you, but this is it so that you can reflect that God is going to keep you occupied for the rest of your life here with gladness, or you can live the rest of your life under the sun with anxieties or with fears. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer, right? Which way you want to choose, but each of us have to make a choice whether or not we're going to be like the animals living under the sun or whether gonna we learn to live in the fear of the Lord and accept his gifts. God bless you. Have a good afternoon. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at kingdom underscore saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.